This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. Hello and welcome to the MGMA Insider Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Today we're joined by Carrie Coe, founder and CEO of Carrie Coe Consulting. Carrie's here to talk about leadership, communication, and interpersonal efficiency. Carrie, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your background and career in healthcare. I know you've you've got a varied past as far as what you've done and where you've been. So t- fill us in on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. Well, I have been in healthcare for a little over 20 years, and I, I had I started out with a traditional path, um, other than a stint trying my my best at being a ski bum after undergrad in Aspen. It didn't turn out to be that lucrative. So I did go back to grad school um, and and really began um, a traditional path. As I said, I started my career at the Mayo Clinic. I did an administrative fellowship there and um, stayed on there um, in an operational role for quite a few years. And then after that, I moved on to the for-profit um, sector within healthcare and continued to kind of work my way up the ladder and operational and then ultimately executive roles. Um, my experience was was um, pretty broad. I um, My last role was vice president of business development for a hospital, so I was very involved in physician alignment, um, opportunities and partnership and, and, you know, in general, how do we grow the business? What does this look like for us? And, and I think when I, when I reflect upon kind of my philosophy, my training at Mayo Clinic obviously had a lot of influence and, and it was really that physician administrative partnership that I, um, learned, uh, the value of when I was at the Mayo Clinic and then after I left my Mayo bubble and came to the for-profit world, I realized, you know, that that partnership doesn't necessarily exist in a healthy way and can really manifest itself more in an us versus them, them um, kind of environment. But I honestly was just kind of doing my thing, um, didn't see it as my problem to solve. and. And um, but that quickly changed when I uh, was forced to pivot in life, as we often are. Um, I was actually uh, pregnant with my first son, and he was born six weeks early with a rare muscle disease that we didn't know that he had. And so we spent five months in the NICU with him, and um, were finally able to get him home after five months. And Sadly, he passed away at seven and a half months um, from this muscle disease. And so obviously everything I knew to be true um, was was challenged during that time. And, and after a period of time when I was ready to go back to work, um, I knew I, I wouldn't be the same administrator. And I knew also I didn't have the tolerance for kind of the, the work that I did before. Um, meaning that 
I loved my job. I love the physicians I worked with and, and my colleagues. Um, but it was long hours. It was, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, dialogue, not a lot of results when we had to have meeting after meeting. And so there was a lot of frustration um, within that role. And so I just said, you know, what am I going to do? How can I use my strengths to serve in a different way? And so that's when I launched my own business in um, consulting and uh, interpersonal efficiency, leadership coaching, focused on physician leaders, physician groups, so that I can help them get the results that we all want with less tension and frustration. So that is kind of my journey in healthcare and it's not over. I'm excited to see where it's going to lead me next. Yeah. And I mean, to have a, an experience like that and then being able to reflect on it now, one of the biggest issues that we have in healthcare is striking that right balance. I mean, this isn't a podcast about burnout or anything along those lines, but just to look at it from how do you then shape and design your life and your work where you do have some balance there? Is that one of the things that's clearly one of the things that you designed for yourself? What can you tell people who they're going to stay in that more um, traditional experience, whether it's a hospital setting or a medical practice, but how can they develop better balance in their lives then? You know, two words come to mind when you ask that question and their ownership and choice. I think that the first thing that I had to do personally is take ownership of um, what it was I want and get really super clear Um, and then make choices that were aligned with what I want. And I think when we are working for someone else, when we are in these careers, that we we give up um, some choice. And, And I think that we don't necessarily have to do that. We often make ourselves busy because it gives us this sense of accomplishment um, we um, want to serve others. I mean, most of us in healthcare are here to help other people. And part of that is wanting to, you know, be people pleasers sometimes and wanting to be perfectionists. And so it's all of these things that we need to take a look at ourselves to say, okay, what are my strengths? Where best can I serve? And what's this extraneous stuff that I can help others come up and lead and do and and align with their strengths. So it really, um, for me, and I can only speak for me, um, and, you know, I help a lot of people do this because I think, while we're not talking about burnout, I think that when we talk about leadership and getting the results that we need, the fact of the matter is people are overwhelmed in this industry. And so we need to help them provide the space so that they can think about leadership, so they can think about how do I need to influence? What is my leadership style? I mean, most physicians I I start to work with haven't even had time to think about that. Leadership's this like secondary thing when it actually needs to be integrated into every business decision and every, um, really any decision we make in our lives. So I think it's, you know, owning, um, really, really looking and saying, how can I take ownership of what I want and how can I choose um, to take action that's going to be aligned with what I want. Right. Now, you've made this move from healthcare administrator. Now you're a consultant. As you were talking, leadership is a major focus of yours. 
And I, I have to ask you this because I ask anybody who is a leadership guru or leadership coach, um, what's new about leadership? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure we've been talking about leadership since Socrates, you know, the Greek philosophers yes. owned down, you know, 2000 plus years now. Is there anything new under the sun or what's going on with leadership? <laughs> I love that question because, you know, I when I talk to people about why I'm doing what I'm doing, it's not that I was in this leadership position um, and I said, aha, I've got the answer. I know what we're all doing wrong and this is the new path we need to go on. It is not that at all. I think that the reason I'm so passionate about what I do is because it's just, I don't even quite frankly have to call it leadership. It's just how are we challenging the status quo? How are we teaching people how to think about things in a new way so that we can all come together using our strengths and get more of what we want, get more outcomes that the patients need, do it in a way that we're not killing ourselves. And so for me, you know, when I look at leadership and I think about the importance of influence, I think about, okay, what have others done that I was missing? I can tell you when I started my business and I went from having the certainty of working for a very structured organization to the chaos of being an entrepreneur and having no certainty no health plan, you know, it is a big, huge mindset shift. And it was the most challenging thing I've ever had to do. And so what it took, though, is me figuring out how do I lead myself? There is no way I can lead a team in this new environment until I figure out how I lead myself. And so really, um, that led me down a path of, of a ton of research and exploring best practices, not necessarily in healthcare, but but looking at successful, high-performing leaders and what do they do differently? Like, what are we missing? And and how do we integrate that into the world of healthcare? Because you know, there's when you look up, um, you know, how to be an effective leader and and what are the what are the game-changing things? You know, there's things like self-awareness. That's to me, the most important thing. But we can get very much into the woo-woo when we start talking about the self-awareness piece. And to me, it's like, we don't need to be resistant to the things that have worked for these high-performing leaders just because it's not the way we were trained or just because it's not the way we've, we've ever looked at it before. So, so for me, it was... Um, I'm not coming with a new leadership theory. I'm I'm just saying, how can we get ready, get rid of the stuff that doesn't matter, and focus on what matters most? Because there are so many elephants in the room, and and if we don't address them, and we and if we don't figure out how to have the difficult conversations with our colleagues who maybe we don't have any influence over, then you know everything's going to be surface, and we're just going to continue this cycle of overwhelm and frustration and complaining and judging and all of those things that aren't fun. Mm -hmm. In your research, have you found any common themes that that do hold people back from reaching their potential? Oh, I think we all are our own worst enemies. You know, I it, it's funny because when I think about, I ask all of my clients that exact question. What's your biggest obstacle to getting what you want? What's holding you back? And, and they tell me things like, 
um, you know, we go to all of these retreats and courses and, and we learn all this stuff about leadership, but how do I apply it to, to me? Like none of that really fits with my style. And so it's really understanding how you continue to be yourself and lead in a way that just feels natural. And then while you're doing that, how do you influence your colleagues? Um, and, and how do you manage the pace of change? And where do you start? I mean, there's a million things we need to know as leaders, especially as physician leaders who are, you know, doing clinical work as well as the business aspect of managing practices. And so when I look at, at kind of my observations, um, we are our own worst enemy. I think leadership is messy and we need to get comfortable with the messy and the chaos. And that takes really learning some new habits and some new mental models of how we react or, and or respond to certain situations. Um, for me, it's, it's really important to find the hacks, you know, find those small tweaks. I don't, we don't want to change people, but, but the message is we have so much more influence that we're not taking advantage of. And it starts with us. It starts with, with really changing our approach and making sure that we're owning our stuff and what we're bringing to the table. Because when we don't own it, then we're setting a standard for our entire practice or organization about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Yeah, I'm. there's a part of me that uh, I think of uh, the matrix where, um, you know, Keanu Reeves just takes a pill and then he's got it all figured out. And there are days when I feel like I could, I just really wish that's what I could do, but it, it really is hard work then. So yeah. is it, is it changing your habits? Is it uh, figuring out, I mean, you're talking a lot about almost if I'm interpreting you right and hearing you right, shutting out some of the noise, some of the non-essential things, putting those to the side, and then being able to really focus on the things that do matter. Is that right? Totally. I, th I think why this is so complicated is because leadership is this kind of nebulous word and there's no endpoint, right? There's not like, okay, I've made it. I am an effective leader. It's just a continual growth curve. And that's really hard for, for um, those of us in healthcare that may be a little more black and white. And, and so it's, it's really, you know, when I look at how I help people get results, it's really four things. It's creating clarity. It, it's amazing to me how many people don't know exactly what they're working towards or what they want, why they want it, um, what they need to do to get it. You know, the people often, including myself in my past life, didn't really take the time to get super crystal clear. I mean, I had my goals from my organization. I knew where I was cascaded and what I needed to do, but I'm, I'm talking about kind of a higher level clarity in terms of first taking ownership for what we want as leaders and how we're going to get it, who we need to be. And then we can align that to how do we help our organization get to where it needs to be. So that clarity piece is huge. And then, um, you know, that that second layer is that I call actionable self-awareness. We can, I think we all think we're pretty self-aware um, if I ask, but it's like, do we take action on that? And, and how do you take action on that? What is that look like you know we're all used to 
doing SWOT analysis and looking at our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats from a from an organizational or team perspective. But do we look at that same thing from an interpersonal perspective? You know, there's so much research on high-performing teams and organizations, and while individual skill is important, it's the interaction between individuals that's the game changer. And so it, when we don't focus on that, then that's when we get people who are just coming to work, just doing their job and leaving, or maybe the loudest voice is getting getting their way, and, and we get people who are disengaged. And in a physician practice, I see that all the time. And, and so there's some very clear steps that we can take to understand how do we influence each other. And as you indicated, Daniel, it's about how do you focus on what is most important? There are competing priorities. There will always be competing priorities. There will always be fires. Are you the person that needs to put out the fire? Or how can you grow the people around you? Because that fire might be their strength. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's mitigating distractions, empowering others. You know, high value action is what I call it, which is just really focusing on what's most important. Mm-hmm. Now, you're going to be speaking at MGMA's annual conference. That's going to be held October 13th through 16th in New Orleans. Um, you're going to be talking about something called interpersonal efficiency. And I haven't heard that phrase before. W- what is that? Yes. Well, it's you probably haven't heard it because I made it up. Okay. <laughs> there you go. But, but what it is, is... It, it has it has evolved into really a four-step process that I truly believe is the foundational skill set and mindset for being an effective leader. And it really kind of goes beyond being an effective leader. It, it goes to getting the results that we want. There's so many decisions that practices and physicians and administrators have to make on a daily basis. Um, things are coming at us all the time. And so it's like, what do I need to absolutely master so that I can handle these constant decisions and get us to where we need to be? And, and, you know, those four steps, the beauty of it is it's in healthcare, we're very process oriented. So it's a process that we can walk through one through four, or we can kind of insert ourselves into the step that is most pertinent pertinent to what's happening within an individual or group at that time. So it's very flexible. And the four step, steps are just kind of what I, I mentioned previously, creating that clarity. What do you want? Why do you want it? What's holding me back? How do I influence myself so I can influence others? That's that second step of actionable self-awareness. And then there's the piece of positive influence, which is probably my favorite because when we talk about influencing others, it can seem so daunting, but there is a, a real secret sauce to that that's not complicated. It's supernatural to people, and most people are already doing it. It just takes a few tweaks to be effective at it. Um, and then that fourth step is high value action, and that's do you have the time and space to lead so that leadership isn't secondary to putting out fires? Yeah, and I realize that leadership skills, for the most part, are universal, but something that you've written about, I went out and read one of your blogs, and you were talking about their communication issues, and what is it about a healthcare setting in particular that can really, 
I don't know if it's drive a wedge into communication or that maybe it's the chaos there that creates poor communication, but why is communication such an issue in healthcare and what can be done to improve it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, those of us in healthcare function naturally at a high level of stress. And and it was interesting, you know, obviously I had a lot of epiphanies, ahas, after being in the health system from the patient perspective. But one of my, my um, observations was that as an administrator, you know, I had meetings with physicians all day long. But one thing I didn't appreciate was the impact of the patient stories that those physicians are carrying with them that are stacking on each other. And they're carrying those stories, those questions, did I make, did I order the right test? Did I make the right decision? Um, into every meeting and every conversation. And, but they're, they're trained to do that, right? They're trained to, to carry the weight of, of these decisions. But what that, what happens then is we are all functioning at a higher level of stress. And I don't know about you, but when I am stressed, I am not at my best. I'm short with people. I don't really listen. I, you know, just want people to do what I want them to do. And so if you look at entire groups or organizations or quite frankly, even the culture of healthcare, we're all in this elevated stress and we're all not at our best. We're not all working to our highest and best. And, and so we see a lot of reactionary behavior in our communication, um, a lot of defensiveness. Maybe that looks like, um, you know, a lot of us working from our egos instead of really focusing outside of ourselves and understanding how we focus on what's most important and trusting that our own needs will get met. And so when I, when I see the communication patterns that exist in healthy versus unhealthy cultures or organizations, um, it, it starts with kind of the basics. It starts with, are we listening to get our mind changed? Because if we listen to get our mind changed, that dynamic changes everything. You don't have time to think about your response because you really are trying to listen to learn. And then you inquire. If, if you're listening to get your mind changed, you're going to really want to understand that person's perspective. And when that person feels understood, then they're going to reciprocate. We're wired for reciprocation. It's like when somebody sends you a Christmas card and they're not on your list, and all of a sudden you think, oh my gosh, I need to send them cards. So you send out a card. We're wired for that reciprocation. And so, you know, it's just getting back to the basics. Um, first, le learning those mental models that can help us get out of reaction mode, which I, I do a lot of with uh, my groups. It's not foo-foo. It's not, it's, it's some real science back stuff that is easy and effective. Then we can start to listen to learn. Then we can understand kind of what our boundaries are for what's okay and what's not okay. You know, people are really reactionary to you. You can use your voice in a more effective way. Um, I think there's there's three things that have to go together when we talk about communication. Um, communication needs to have context, it needs to be direct, and it needs to be empathetic. And if you think about those th those three things, if you're direct and empathetic in your message, but you don't tell some someone why it's important, you're probably gonna get some resistance. 
people want to know why. It may make perfectly logical sense to you about why, but we have to understand that all of our decision-making is driven by emotion and it's backed up by logic. And part of that emotional connection is really understanding the reason. They need to feel empowered to say, okay, yeah, I can align with that reason. So we have to give the context. We have to be direct. We need to get to the point. It's like sugarcoating is overrated. We, we don't wanna do this feedback sandwich. We have to be direct, but we also have to care about the person. We have to be empathetic. I um, can give you several examples from my time in the patient perspective of when one of those three things was missing. And that immediately got me into reactionary mode. Now, granted, I was in a very stressful point in my life, but it's interesting when I observe those three working together, it's like gold. Yeah, I would love to hear a, a real world example, either in your own career or yeah. um, in a, with a healthcare professional that you've worked okay. with where they've been able to work through this and use some yeah. of these tools to kind of get unstuck in their lives okay. and in their careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, so I work with a, with a um, physician executive who was completely overwhelmed and and um she was working nights and weekends and and so the first thing we had to do was that high value action how do you focus on what's most important how do you get clear so we worked through a very detailed plan and she was able to, to create space in her calendar she was able to eliminate nights and weekends because she was focusing on what was most important and what was most important for her was creating results with people colleagues who were in IT, who were her equal, but didn't have, she had no authority over. She had to work with board members who obviously she had no authority over. So it's like, how could she communicate in a way that got her to um, the influence that she needed? And so we looked at, um, we walked through a process for navigating difficult discussions. They're not necessarily conflict discussions, but they're difficult in that you need to influence someone who you have no authority over. And there's really kind of three parts to any one of those discussions. It's the self-awareness piece. It's owning your contribution. It's understanding kind of the focus that you need to have within this conversation. The second part of the conversation is an empathy assessment. So can you step into the shoes of the person you're trying to influence? So there's a series of questions you ask yourself, and then you ask that same series of questions stepping into the other person's shoes. So you think about it from that other person's perspective. And only then are you ready to have the conversation. When you are clear on your contribution, what you did right, what you did wrong, you're clear on the the other person's perspective as much as you can be. And then you have a conversation that is a learning conversation. And so in this particular example, um, there was constant conflict between this executive and her counterpart in IT. And there were some big changes that needed to happen from an an IT perspective. And they were just at a roadblock. And so we walked through this process. And what it came down to was, what if you looked at this person from a human perspective? What do you think he cares about? What's important to him? 
and what if we got rid of the titles and, and the roles and just looked at him human to human and going through that process and just, just taking away the titles and dealing with them as on a one-on-one basis allowed her to have the influence that she needed. And they worked through major changes. There were um, a lot of conflict between both of their teams. And so they were able to come together and and form um, a common vision that they both could basically sell to their teams. That helped the people below them to come together and connect. So it's pretty powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to end this by asking you a question because you were talking about someone who's able to focus on the things that are important, push away the things that perhaps aren't primary, but as you know, in healthcare, productivity is always at the forefront of everything. It's how efficient, how productive. So I want to present you with an analogy and, and walk our listeners through how they can solve this problem. But think about it as if you stepped onto a merry-go-round and then while you're riding it slowly around, it suddenly gets broken and it starts going faster and faster and faster. <laughs> and how do you untangle yourself? How do you get out of that situation and do so without showing weakness? Because I, I was talking to a healthcare professional, recent, uh, healthcare professional recently who said she felt like she couldn't stop doing these things without looking weak and putting herself in a position where she'd never get a promotion because, hey, you're not on board, you're not on the team. So how do you remain ultra productive, ultra efficient, but also having the, um, I don't know, courage to just say, look, I, I can't take on one more thing. How do you do okay. that? Oh, wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> How much time would we have? It's a great question because I think that analogy is just so common in in healthcare. And I, and I love that example you gave the person you were talking to. Um, the first thing, I would suggest is we need to jump off the merry around just for a second, meaning we have to re- remove ourselves. And that can look like, you know, taking an hour, taking, taking some time, because we have to see the view from the balcony. And, and what that will allow us to do is to really get clear. We always, there's always more and more and more right? The, but what is, what are we actually trying to achieve? Like, let's get super specific in our measures and our goals that we need to achieve. And we need to get really real in, in what the cost of that is. So if I'm going to achieve, you know, productivity of X, Y, and Z, this means I'm going to be in the clinic this number of hours, I'm going to be seeing this number of patients, what's the cost to that? What do I need to give up? So it's like, we have to understand what our boundaries are, what it is we want. That's that clarity piece I was talking about. So that we can look at reality and say, is this even feasible? Or am I gonna be working a hundred hours a week to make this happen? And then what's the cost of that? What's the cost to my practice, my patients, my family? So we have to get clear on our current reality and we have to get super clear on what we're actually trying to achieve because there's always more there's always more we can always be doing more and then we need to look at at 
in terms of that mitigating the distractions, focusing on what's most important, we need to go in first before we go out, meaning before we blame the system, we need to figure out what we're doing in this situation. So you gave the example of, you know, stopping, if we stop doing some of these things, we're gonna be perceived as weak or, you know, not enough. And I think there is this universal human fear that we're not gonna be enough or we're not gonna be liked or loved and nobody wants to admit that. But what that results, um, the result of that is we put these disempowering meanings on things. We have a choice. We can choose to make giving up these things mean that we're not enough, we're gonna be seen as weak, or we can choose to put a different meaning on that. We can choose to say, I'm gonna focus on what's most important and I'm going to have the confidence to say no and I'm gonna tell them why, I'm gonna be direct, I'm gonna be empathetic, but I'm gonna tell them why. And when you are so clear and focused on what it is you're trying to accomplish, why it's important, who you need to be to get there, saying no to those things is empowering. And delegating becomes this empowering moment where you know you're serving someone else. And it's this holding on to this notion of we have to, it's my way or the highway, it's not gonna get done right, or I, to be respected, I have to do it all. It's just this old way of thinking. It, it's just not how we get the results. The world is changing too fast. There's too many competing priorities for us to even think that we can do it all by ourselves. So we have to get perspective. And quite frankly, we need to use the resources around us. Um, you know, I know in moments where I needed perspective, I needed help in getting that perspective. We can't do these things alone. So we need to surround ourselves with people who've gone before us and have done things that we admire whether that's um, you know, physician leaders, whether that's um, coaches, whether that's, you know, surround yourself with the resources that you need because we can't do it alone. Um, and then it's developing a plan. If you're super clear and you know how you're holding yourself back, developing a plan, who do I need to, to influence? What do I need? What boundaries do I need in place? How can I simplify? What distractions are there that I can immediately, I mean, the common distractions are email, meetings, you know, people interrupting, urgent and important fires that need to be put out. So it's really looking at, okay, how do I mitigate those things? And there's, there's some specific ways that, that I work with people to be able to do that. All right, well, Carrie, thanks so much for joining us. It's been fun talking to you and learning uh, all these insights on leadership, self-awareness, empathy, communication, and everything <laughs> else. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. If you're interested in learning more on leadership topics or hearing Carrie speak live, you can join us at MGMA's annual conference, October 13th through 16th in New Orleans. Registration is now open. For more information and to register, visit mgma.com slash bigeasy. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for. 
so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com analytics today.